Today, we are the champions, my friend. On a very special episode of Rob Observations, we look at the little comic that couldn't. A favorite of mine, a cult classic. It just wouldn't take flight. The champions. More than a great Queen song, this comic has a rich history and launched some of the biggest names in comic book history before it was retired all too soon. Let's explore the story of Marvel's The Champions on an all-new episode of Observations. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. Today, we are going to jump right into what I call a very special edition of, of Raw Observations. This is an episode that I have been A, looking forward to, and B, wondering how it will be uh, perceived. I call it a very special edition because uh, for, for those of you who are of my age and you grew up uh, in maybe the 70s or the early 80s, uh, and there's plenty of you. Thank you all, actually, for listening. The, uh, there was a thing called the After School Special. The After School Special would run and it would always be about some deep traumatic experience, uh, you know, an entire 90 minute or, or two hour afternoon movie that, that, that uncovered that the kid across the street has been secretly being beaten by his mo- mom or dad. It was, it was pick a parent and, and you know, the, the, the pain of little Billy and the, and the hidden abuse, or it was about, you know, that uh, the 16 year old boy who was an alcoholic um, or, and I kid you, I kid you not, there was one about a kid who wet his bed. Um, it was about a teenage boy who was a bedwetter. Okay. These are the things, <laughs> these are the topics that we got to enjoy, uh, when I was growing up watching, watching television, the after school special. And they always came with, uh, with a with a you know, a, a, a promo in the beginning that said, this is, you know, the subject matter you are about to see could be potentially traumatic, but is, you know, an issue that we feel uh, needs to be given light and deals with, you know, serious possible uh, adult subject matter. So I'm calling this a very special episode of Rob Observations because it is about a book that maybe only I have ever held dear, but I believe there's a lot to glean from the uh, series history of a book called The Champions. Now, the Champions was and and remains one of my favorite comic books of all space and time. I love it. I cherish it. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you before I did this episode, I, I, I bagged and boarded. I gave fresh bags and boards, and I may have put a couple of them in mylar bags, uh, because I, I I wanted to re look at the entire series on the newsprint on on newsprint copies the the copies that I that I bought myself off those beautiful spinner racks and I looked at the ads the letters pages and we're going to we're going to examine the champions for a couple of reasons one it's a it's a book that that for whatever reason failed to take flight and when I share with you some of the talent that was involved you 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 look back and and you'll go wow this this it 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 felt like it was just about to to take off and finally reach the altitude and the orbit that it that it it was aiming for uh, right when they pulled the plug. But it's also the characters, the origin of the book, why it existed in the first place, and then the publication history, and then how kids of my, my, myself, I have met many people who dig this book. And in fact, I'll just launch with, uh, before I get into the backstory, the cover, the very cover 
to Champions Number One is a classic of its age. It is. It is. So so this week, as I attend Comic Con International in San Diego, we used to call it San Diego Comic Con, but as I attend, I attend San Diego Comic Con. I will see this book on back walls. I will see this book on so many different back walls. Uh, probably several slabbed and graded. I, I've seen them, um, but but a lot of raw, nice copies. I'm not even sure what they're going for. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, in another episode or perhaps in an addendum at the end of this one, I can I can I can throw that in there. Uh, but it will be on on the back walls at at, at all the different uh, dealers at San Diego Comic Con. If you've never been, uh, the the Halls A and B are are Silver Age, Golden Age, Bronze Age dealers. These cats have been here for maybe longer than I have, and I've been doing this for forty one years. Some of some of them are, are are longer than me. Most of them are in the thirty year range, and uh, and they have their Silver Age, their Bronze Age. You know, your first Avengers, Fantastic Four, your X Men. I mean, you've got your some, some dude will have early appearances, if not first appearances, of Superman and Batman. But this book will find its way on all of the big guys' walls. I've seen it. I've looked at it. I've, I've, I've myself have purchased nicer copies. Uh, I don't want slabbed versions of this book. I want, I want these books to be, I want, I want to be able to open them and, and interact with them. But uh, the, the champions, the cover to number one is a, it, it is a landmark of what we call the bronze era of comics. And again, just to reacclimate, if you've never really understood the bronze age of comics is supposed to supposed to uh, begin with the death of Gwen Stacy in Spider-Man and it stretches to Watchmen and Dark Knight when everything got super dark where superheroes went darker ironically the dark the death of Gwen Stacy in Spider-Man is 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 seen to be the dark act that pulls us out of the silver age and into the bronze age which was quote unquote more adult more adult themed because then you've got a lot of drugs, uh, kind of the, the the drug epidemic of the time being examined in, in in the pages of of comics like Green Lantern and Green Arrow, and we've just got more adult subject matter that that, that works its way through comics, and and that's kind of the the starting point is when they you know you kill Spider Man's girlfriend in the most violent way possible. Um, I mean, you drop her from the sky to her death, where she dies on impact. Um, you know that is a dark act, and that really did uh, shape comic book Spider-Man going forward. I mean, it took him years and years to recover from that, and and why wouldn't it? It, it gave great, you know, fodder for writers to examine and get into the psyche and the fears and and the way that you know the, the character of Spider-Man shifted and changed. But it again stretches to eighty six, eighty seven, which is the end of Dark Knight and Watchmen, which again became even more. I'd say cynical as well as dark. And then you get to, I guess, the 90s. And I'm not really, I guess now we just call it the 90s. And then I guess modern comics is the 2000s. I'm not really sure. No one sat me down and kind of told me, what, what, but, but we can't have an era that went on for 30 years. All of these eras are in the 12 to 15 years, which are snapshots of of of, of kind of what was going on at that point. So, so I, I would give the 90s and the 2000s kind of a break. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, they, they both can't be the modern age of comic books. The Champions, number one, has this incredible cover by Gil Kane, who was the cover editor, cover editor at the time doing, doing literally 90% of Marvel's comics. This guy loved his job. He is, he was a uh, giant 
legendary illustrator who had done huge runs on DC icons, the Atom, Green Lantern. Uh, he, was, he was really identified with DC. Marvel got him, and recognizing his incredible uh, compositional acumen, put him on so many of their covers. I mean, there, there are weeks when you would go and the Captain America, the Thor, the Spider-Man, the uh, Conan, the Werewolf by Night, the Man-Thing, the Tomb of Dracula, uh, the Cowboy books like Rawhide Kid, the Two-Gun Kid, and then throw Iron Man in there. So, so he did the supernatural covers, the superhero covers, the Western, the, 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 the Conan stuff, Conan and Cole the Barbarian, or, or Cole the Destroyer and Conan the Barbarian, which, which, whichever one was, had the different denotation. But Gil Kane was covering all of them. And so in 1975, I have been grabbing the comics for about eight to nine months at this point. And I go into, and I can identify this, I can tell you, um, for, 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 for my purposes, this is, this is a liquor store purchase. And I see at front and center, I mean, the, the, the figure is so prominently positioned. He is such a powerful figure. It is the figure of Hercules, the Marvel version of Hercules, the uh, Greek god, son of Zeus. And I have always been just completely apeshit crazy over Marvel's Hercules from the earliest reprints where I saw him going toe to toe with Thor and, and, and throttling him. And on, 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 on uh, earlier editions of this, this podcast, older episodes, I've shared with you guys that I loved the hotheads. It may even be, be, be called something about the, the hotheads or something about temperament in the title of the episode. But when I was a kid, it was Luke Cage, Power Man, Hercules, Wolverine, Prince Namor. These, I loved Marvel's hotheads. They would just fly off the handle and, and, and get into a brawl at, at, the, at the drop of a hat. And, and it was just part of the fun. Uh, you know, they weren't the noble. They, weren't the, they didn't have the nobility of a Captain America or, 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 or a Thor who, who, who would use better judgment. These guys just, you know, hair trigger, just temper tantrums, temp, outburst of rage and violence. And, and Hercules was symptomatic of that uh, and, and, and symbolic. And uh, I, I had loved each and every one of his appearances. Avengers like 98, 99, 100, the big anniversary issues that I had borrowed from my friend Jay Boomer. Yes, Jay Boomer's getting a shout out because he had comics I didn't, and man, did I covet those things. They, uh, that storyline in those Avengers issues drawn by Barry, it was Barry Smith. He hadn't gone to Barry Windsor Smith yet, but dealt with the Avengers and 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 battling with the Greek gods and and saving uh, Hercules, whose whose life was in danger. The headdress, the the very unique uh, costume that that Hercules has has always worn with this giant sash down the middle, and then like this cool skirt, and then these incredibly uh, detailed and very unique leggings, and then of, of course his headpiece. You know that I love the headgear, the headpiece, and and Hercules had one. He just great character, huge top top five Marvel character for me is Hercules, Marvel's Hercules, and here he is front and center leading this very eclectic band of characters of whom I immediately identified as a kid. Hercules is is positioned so powerfully by, by Gil Kane on this cover as he has got one arm back cocked, ready to punch, and the other one is pointing, leading them, surging them forward. Black Widow is, Black Widow, who, who had been in Daredevil and Iron Man, uh, 
heavy rotation. And at the time that I was buying comics in 74 and 75, and again, I'm seven and eight years old at that time, very, uh, just very much in awe of every single comic book, every Marvel, every DC, the liquor store, the 7-Eleven, the, the grocery store. Again, if you know my past history, I consumed comics. They were affordable. I could get at one point five for a dollar, 20 cents each, and then four for a dollar when they popped up to 25 cents. Uh, but I had I had several issues of Iron Man and Daredevil that featured Black Widow. I loved Natasha Romanoff. I loved her um her essence, her character. Uh, she just was always poised, strong, powerful, mysterious. I loved her her stingers on her on her uh, on her wrist that she that, that that she had, and she has a great costume. This black, very simple black and gold design. She's swinging overhead. Angel and Iceman from the X Men. And, and 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 it's very cool how this actually ties into the giant size X-Men. Yes, it actually ties into the seminal Bronze Age monster, uh, you know, just blockbuster comic. It's gone on to be a blockbuster comic. You want to talk about a, bull, a book that is going to be on walls at Comic-Cons forever and, is, and just continues to go up in price. Uh, Iceman and Angel had left the X-Men as a result of the result as as the result of the consequences in giant size x-men number one and so now they're home as you can see by this cover they are alongside both on left and right of hercules they're flanking him so two former x-men former original x-men members and then finally you've got ghost rider marvel's you know uh, demonic biker who had his own title and that's key as you're going to find out and 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 he is a kick-ass visual flaming skull kick-ass motorcycle and the the angle of the cover is slightly tilted it's very dramatic but here come the champions champions number one i pulled that off the rack uh, faster than you can say robbie liefeld and uh i took that thing to the register bought this and consumed it and i'm going to tell you this is this is long in a line of uh comic books that had better covers than they had interiors. This is kind of a staple of the time that they were publishing at Marvel Comics. So many, you got a guy who's as A-list as Gil, giving you these incredible covers, but the interiors of this book, uh, just because at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm buying the Avengers. At the same time, I'm buying Fantastic Four. I'm buying X-Men. I'm buying all these other comics. And they just aren't quite, feeding the same the champions is not feeding the same like just senses in 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 regards to how uh i'm what i'm getting from avengers and and fantasy four and all these books that are drawn by my favorites like jim starlin and george perez and john byrne and god bless him don heck does a nice job but but the punch just wasn't there and you'll read from editorial they make these same comments later on uh within uh, the 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 foreword that I'm going to read to you in this book and the afterword and and they they they're obviously looking through a lens several decades later about uh, viewing that maybe uh, the moments and 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 the 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 story uh, the, the 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 story beats were, were something that that this artist Don Heck wasn't up to. What I'm trying to tell you is I really didn't like the art, but I still loved the comic, and that is uh, the the absolute. Uh, tenant of of something that has just got a formula that is clicking with you even though the 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 actual art of the comic isn't selling you it's the idea of these characters is what's carrying the excitement first and foremost so so even though i don't love the art 
I, I love these characters. I, I love these characters coming together. And you may sit there and you go, Hercules, Black Widow, Ghost Rider, Angel, and Iceman. Two X-Men, a supernatural demon biker, a Russian spy, and a Greek god. How did we get to this place? Bottom line, first issue, they're attacked by a bunch of Greek gods. And like I said, uh, you'll even see the editor, uh, not, not an editor, an editor from Marvel Comics looking back, wondering if Don Heck was... Uh, up to the moment of, of some of the, the asks in this story. And at this time, you're getting a lot of, like I said, these, these, these new uh, artists are springing up and, and some of the current, what you call fan favorites, are absolutely doing all of the other team books. Dave Cockrum, just lush, beautiful, powerful, uh, intricate detail, figure work on X-Men. You got George Perez doing Fantastic Four and the Avengers at the time this comes back. That this comes out. You've got you've got John Byrne who is knocking on the door, and and trust me, John Byrne is going to find his way to the champions. My favorite artist of all comic artists of all space and time is going to basically finish off this series. Remember when I said I, I it it was it was it was starting to launch. That's because of the, the way it ended. It was so ridiculously strong. But these first couple issues, they're a little rough. Don Heck is an acquired taste, especially for fanboys at that time, especially if you were my age. Uh, guys my age now all collectively are like, oh man, we really uh, you know, didn't appreciate Don Heck for who he was at the time and the, and the beauty of his work. All true. Absolutely true. But at the time, just was not uh, appreciating. Uh, it, it's just a very basic, kind of very basic approach to the storytelling in this first issue, especially given that the subject matter, again, is all of these nefarious Greek gods. How, how do they come together? Uh, Iceman and Angel are, are at the UCLA campus, and that begins this, this coming together. So it's, a, it's on the West Coast. It's in Southern California. So, so again, a different, uh, a decidedly different uh, setting than, than most all the other Marvel comics, which were taking place in New York City at the time. And again, very purposeful. So, so Champions number one pulled it off the rack, consumed it, even though I didn't love it. I love these characters. I love the idea of these characters, and I wanted much more to do with these characters. But how did this book come out? You know, come together in the first place. What, uh, what was was the 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 you know origin of of yet another team book? And let me tell you something. This is a period, a a a period of months where Marvel launches a bunch of new team books. It's the champions. They give the Inhumans their own book, which again is drawn by George Perez. Head to head matchup: Don Heck on Champions, George Perez on Inhumans, number one. Also, while he's doing Fantastic Four and Sons of the Tiger and all these other different assignments that George is doing for Marvel, because he was extremely prolific early in his age. But you have to, like, you know, you judge by the favorite thing that you see, and you go, "Oh man, this guy is kicking ass on all these team books." Oh man, what if he were to do this? And, uh, and, and trust me, George is going to factor into some of this champion stuff as well. You had Inhumans. <clears throat> they launched the Inhumans. They launched Champions. They launched their World War II book, The Invaders, which is Captain America, Submariner, uh, Human Torch, and, and, and their adventures battling Hitler and all of the different uh, villains of that time during World War II. And and so so that adds to Avengers, Fantastic Four, X Men, Defenders. Then you got Inhumans, Invaders, Champions, and I may be leaving out one, but we are talking a a dearth, 
suddenly of, of team books coming out from Marvel. And it wasn't accidental. It was absolutely purposeful. It was part of this new expansion that Marvel was looking to get into. And there is no better person or place uh, to start and, and, and to share this, uh, share, share the kind of behind the scenes than with the author of these original eight champions issues. The one and only Mr. Tony Isabella, who wrote this wonderful uh, in the original Marvel Masterworks collection of the champions. This was actually the foreword in the most latest edition. They've they've kicked it back to the um, the the kind of the back of the book. But in 2014, 2015, when they were starting to put out these collections, Tony Isabella, the author of the original, you know, eight issues of the champions, wrote this really great foreword that I am going to share with you guys. A, a little tidbit about Tony Isabella before we, we get into this for, forward is uh, Tony was writing tons of comics uh, during this time. And you're even gonna, you're even going to hear from another editor who, who writes uh, in this book describing Tony that he was part of a group of guys. And I, I really do envy this, this period of, of uh, 70s Marvel where, where literally some of these guys like Tony is, is reported to have done would bring up a sleeping bag. And, and sleep overnight in the offices along with other staffers in order to proofread and script and, and get the production of these books out. This was a weird time uh, for, for, for comic book publishing. This is right before the implosion. I've, did a de- I've done a dedicated episode. You, you, you must listen to the DC uh, implosion where they announced a series of, 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 of new books with new price points and then immediately had to cancel them all because just sales were cratering on the newsstand and and uh, just all of their plans just kind of fell apart. Marvel was able to get through it because of Star Wars, period. They, they, they had the golden ticket. They got the license to Star Wars and they were able to sail uh, above kind of the, the fray that was rocking the industry later in 76, 77. And this is mid-1975 when, when, uh, when, when this book launches. And, you know, getting these books to press, a lot of times they were late. There's, in fact, almost a three-month gap between Champions 1 and 2, which may uh, explain some of the failure to launch. But Tony was part of a group, Marv Wolfman, Len Wein, uh, the, 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 these guys who are very familiar to you. You've heard their names several times. Jerry Conway, they lived in New York. They 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 would make Marvel Comics kind of their, their clubhouse. They went in by all reports. Jim Shooter, the editor-in-chief for a crucial period at Marvel Comics, uh, what would tell you that that because uh, he took over some of the responsibility for some of these guys and the reason management, and, and Tony Isabella is going to re- refer to management as business hydra uh, in, in some of this uh, that I'm about to read to you. But the management, uh, we're, we're tired of these guys coming in at 3 o'clock. They didn't care that they stayed overnight. They wanted to see them have more business have more business hours. So uh, let me read this to you. This is the the uh, introduction from Tony Isabella to the original uh, hardcover collection of the Champions <clears throat> uh, collection that they that Marvel put out. Again, there's so much demand for this this nugget. The the these 17 issues and and even more appearances that uh, Marvel collected them. I mean, Marvel collect has collected this in 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 multiple trade paperbacks and and hardcover collections and in the original uh the foreword was by tony isabella and it says they were the champions my friend of course champions huge song uh shortly thereafter 
by Queen, you know, huge monster blockbuster tune. Um, <clears throat> so uh, he writes, they were the champions, my friend. He said, uh, in 1967, independent movie maker Larry Buchanan proclaimed Mars Needs Women for a flick starring Tommy Kirk and Yvonne Craig that never actually made it into theaters, but was instead syndicated to television. In the mid-1970s, the overlords of Marvel Comics, who, though I never met them, always presumed had a business Hydra dress code, proclaimed to then-editors Len Wein and Marvel Wolfman that Marvel needs comic books. So began a week where poor Len Wein and Marvel Wolfman held meetings with Marvel writers to create new books demanded by said overlords. I, Tony speaking of himself, was one of the writers and pitched three titles, Black Goliath, who I wanted to call Giant Man, but that's an entire entirely different story, Tigra and the Champions. All three of these were given the green light, of course, in typical madcap Marvel manner. When I came into the office the very next day, the production manager told me I was already weeks behind on all three of my titles. The Champions concept that I pitched to my friends, Len and Marv, was not what readers would see very uh, a few months later. My original pitch was a title starring just Iceman and the Angel. I wanted to do a mashup of Route 66 and The Odd Couple, two young heroes traveling across the country, having adventures, helping people. I figured many of these people should be beautiful young women because, really, do I need to explain that? These are all his words I'm reading to you. He says, I wanted to write and produce a buddy book, an idea that predated Power Man and Iron Fist. I wanted to find use for Iceman and Angel because they had just quit the X-Men and I hated seeing any of my favorite Marvel heroes on the sidelines. I wanted to send some cool Marvel action to those parts of the country that didn't figure in many of our comics. I also thought I could write funny dialogue between the incredibly wealthy Warren Worthington and the roughly middle-class Bobby Drake. Great idea for a comic, right? Uh, My original Champions concept survived about 10 seconds, undone by Len Wein saying all superhero teams must have five members. I thought he was putting me on given that he had been writing and editing Fantastic Four. Our conversation went like this. Tony Isabella, you mean like the Fantastic Four? Len Wein, exactly. This initial rule, and he puts rule in, in parentheses, was followed by a few others. Every team must have a strong man. Every team must have a woman. Every team must have one member who has his own book. Len stopped short of telling me that every team must have a mystery-solving dog. In all fairness to my pals, they had to deal with the business hydra. I didn't. I wouldn't have lasted a day in their jobs. Once I realized Len and Marv were serious about this, I requested Hercules and the Black Widow. Hercules would be fun to write, and having written the Widow out of Daredevil, I thought I could give her a leader role in this new team. Turning down Len Wein's suggestion for Luke Cage for the fifth member, I wanted the team to be based in LA, and since Luke Cage is in New York City, through and through, I, I just I went ahead and went with Ghost Rider. Marvel had its new super team. Now all I had to do was figure out how to bring these characters together and give them a reason to exist. I used up a year's allotment of coincidence by getting the heroes to the UCLA campus just when some disgruntled gods put the grab on Hercules and guest star Venus. I threw in every Marvel mythological menace I could think of and relied heavily on the artistic genius of pencilers Don Heck and George Tusca to make my convoluted plot-heavy trilogy work. When you read those three issues here, you'll understand my reverence for those gentlemen. I moved back to native Cleveland during these opening issues of the title, drawn back by the love of his future wife and, uh, and my growing disdain for New York City. 
The move was complicated, so Bill Mantlo scripted over my plot on Champions 3, and Chris Claremont, from X-Men fame, no less, guys, plotted and scripted Issue 4. Uh, I was the editor who first hired Bill Mantlo as a production guy, uh, and I had also hired Chris as my assistant editor on the black and white magazines that I was overseeing during that era. Uh, when I got back in the champion saddle, I wanted to establish the team as superheroes for the common man. They'd be getting a two ostentatious skyscraper, skyscraper headquarters paid for by the very deep pockets of Angel. When Iceman got a gander at his pal's worth, he gasped, that's more money than God makes. Uh, he then goes on in this forward and there, then starts going beat by beat uh, over the the each issue's contents, uh, which we're not gonna we're, we're just gonna skip over. He literally talks about issue five, issue six, issue seven. The bottom line, uh, he says uh, that the champions, especially towards the end of their run. And this is something that was, as a fan, as a fan of the champions, I was so digging myself, uh, is they had a featured guest star role in the Iron Man annual uh, in 1977. They also guest starred that same month in an issue of the Avengers. And they guest starred in Marvel's supervillain team-up. They also guest starred in Godzilla. The, 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 yes, that Godzilla that Marvel published. I have a dedicated podcast. You must listen to Godzilla, King of All Monsters, Marvel Monsters. Uh, it, it was a great period when Marvel had the license to, to uh, Godzilla. And the champions actually pop up in an issue because Marvel was, was really trying to get them to, to launch. I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit like in Mean Girls when Rachel McAdams uh, says, stop trying to make fetch happen fetch in this in this instance would be the champions marvel was trying to make the champions happen but i guess it was a honestly from my viewpoint as a you know seven eight nine year old during this time i think there was just so many different team books at marvel and people had their preferences and the top of that was the fantastic four and the avengers the x-men was coming on strong uh about to lap the defenders during that time but that's your big four and then the invaders I think was doing very well, probably better because it, it 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 ran much longer. The Invaders ran for uh, almost five years compared to just a year and a half for the Champions and the Inhumans, both of which were um, the Inhumans. I think didn't even get to like issue fourteen, fifteen. So 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 there was quick plugs pulled on these team books, but but Marvel really tried to put the spotlight on Champion, putting them on the cover and put and and featuring them in their other top selling books like Iron Man and the Avengers. Putting them in Godzilla, putting them in supervillain team up. He says uh, the champions were appearing all over the Marvel universe. I'm back to Tony here. This is this is Tony saying in one of his final paragraphs, the champions were appearing all over the Marvel universe, but it wasn't enough to keep the bickering outsiders together. Issue number 17 of the champions would be their titles swan song. And on the final page of that issue, we announced that the story would be concluding in an upcoming Avengers comic. But that closure was also denied to the angel and his team. And then he goes on to say that they wrapped up their story in a two-parter in Spectacular Spider-Man, where they uh, <clears throat> Peter Parker got a got a press release prior to being assigned to taking uh, taking the team's picture that they had they had been disbanded. Uh, he says it's been four decades since I wrote the Champions. 
When I'm asked to autograph these comics at conventions, I always end up signing several issues of the title. The owners of these comics always tell me how much they enjoy the champions. On that level, the title was a success. Uh, you know, uh, t- Tony's uh, biggest claim to fame, I, f- I meant to mention this, he created, he would then leave, he even mentions that he left Marvel shortly thereafter, and he went to, uh, it, which is why he stops writing The Champions around issue eight. He goes to DC, he creates a character you might have heard of called Black Lightning. Black Lightning, who had many seasons on the CW, is arguably one of the most popular uh, black characters in the history of comics. And Tony was the brainchild behind that. Uh, Tony has a, an incredible resume, but for me, I will always love him the most for this champion's work. And I loved reading this and just hearing that again, the champions came about as a session where the management wanted more books. And so they had their two top, uh, Guys who were splitting the editor-in-chief duties at the time, Len Wein and Marv Wolfman, take pitches. And you guys, I understand that. I've, I've, I've been called up and said, hey, Rob, what would you do with Cable? Hey, Rob, what would you do with Deadpool? Hey, we want to do a Deadpool graphic novel. What would you like to do? Hey, Rob, we'd like to create a female Deadpool. What's your thoughts? Okay, these are all things that, that I've, I've experienced in the last decade. And, and, and so I understand when you get that opportunity... To pitch, you you want to rise to the occasion and you want to, you know, sell them on a concept. There have been crazy pitches myself that I have uh, given to Marvel over the years only to find out that I was a, a day late and a dollar short and that another writer's, writer or a creative team have come up with a direction and 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 using the same characters that I am using. And so, you know, I, 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 I'm told... Hey, we've got somebody else we've already given this to. And, you know, you got to step down. But this is an exciting time where, like I said, Marvel was exploding. Three new team books launched in this 1975 period. Invaders, Inhumans, Champions, and Invaders went the distance. I think not, it's no secret, Captain America was at the helm. Captain America was front and center. Bucky, Namor. I've done uh, podcasts where Namor at one point was appearing uh, in, in no less... In three monthly titles, he had become uh, quite popular. He was in the Defenders, he was in the Invaders, and he was in Supervillain Team Up. So Namor himself had a huge fan following. So Invaders, I think, was the breakout book. Uh, I bought them all, you guys. I, I bought each and every one of them. I was the quintessential Marvel zombie, but the champions, I just loved it. Focusing back also on this era of the Marvel Strongman, if you, you guys have listened to any of my podcasts on the X-Men, you've heard me... Uh, tell you how Colossus was supposed to be the breakout. Marvel had designs because Marvel had this great track record of success with their classic uh, strongman character. The the strongman was always supposed to be at the center of all the c- cover compositions, always at the center of your focus. And when you think about the Hulk on the Defenders, when you think about Thing on the Fantastic Four, uh, Thor was always front and center if he was in the issue of the Avengers. Otherwise, it would pivot towards Iron Man as the quote-unquote strong man of the group. And here you had Her- Hercules was the focus of most of the covers, especially that first issue cover. There's your, there's your you, know, uh, you know, Marvel strongman. I can see completely why uh, he, he, he didn't want Luke Cage because then you get two, you get two uh, strongmen on the same book. 
Ironically, during this same period, and I've covered this also in a podcast, Luke Cage joins the Fantastic Four. It's only three issues, but for all three of those issues, he is the focal point of those cover compositions. The Marvel strongman was a trope they they dined out on uh, frequently, often. And uh, so, 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 so Hercules and Luke Cage would kind of cancel each other out. But Hercules definitely, for, for somebody who, like myself who had favored him in every appearance he'd ever been in, whether it was Thor, Avengers, whatever, um, Hercules at the center was uh, the most appealing part of the book to me. Then you've got Ghost Rider, who was ridiculously popular. Ghost Rider, as far as the supernatural characters from Marvel, uh, had a really long run. He went past the 50-issue mark, which in the 70s is, is a big deal. He, he, he was out selling Doctor Strange, Man-Thing, all of the other supernatural books. He, he broke out, and he was ridiculously popular. And look, there, there are parts of Ghost Rider that you can see in today's supernatural um, breakout successes from the likes of, like Todd McFarlane, Spawn. Spawn with the chains and the, 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 a lot of the imagery, I think, is kind of a, a, uh, a version of what Ghost Rider started there. They are not in any way, shape, or form, they don't resemble each other, but they have that same supernatural kind of bend and 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 tap into that same kind of visceral supernatural energy. Ghost Rider was the first among these. And I mean, Ghost Rider is one of those characters. You just look at him and you dig him. Again, we, we talk about visuals on the show all the time. Visuals, boom, flaming skull, uh, cool leather, you know, jacket, leather, leather outfit, and um, kick-ass, uh, kick-ass uh, custom-designed, motorcycle with with flaming wheels okay like it's a total win it's a total home run he was the character that had his own title because black widow didn't have their own title and then you get two cast off cast offs and i'm going to tell you angel and iceman were always my two favorite of the original x-men there's something about angel i just dig i know he just has wings that flap but he also had a number of different outfits headgear i'm going to put that headgear uh face masks and iceman's just cool so for me, for me as a kid, I'm like, there's something here. There's something here. Now, he mentions George Tuska because the George Tuska drawn issues three and four, and he, draw, and he actually draws the last issue of the champions inked by John Byrne, no less. Inked by John Byrne. George Tuska, and we've talked about it on this show, he is a macho artist, a quintessential. I was looking through issues three and four. His his Black Widow is gorgeous. She is stunning. George Tusca, we don't talk about enough. He is somewhat in that John Buscema mold, but super powerful figure work. Beautiful, handsome, lantern-jawed men. Uh, beautiful, uh, sultry female uh, depictions, faces, figures. Just an amazing presentation of the heroic ideal. The heroic ideal of women, the heroic ideal of men. And uh, George Tusca... It, champions three and four are they're they're badass they are bangers they are great looking comics and they're very <laughs> very macho a lot of bare-chested muscular guys banging up on each other just plastering each other with punches uh really super macho the, the champions is a macho comic but but again this this exists because champions failed to launch it did not connect they had new villains they had they had one of the greatest Tony talks about it's a it's an issue he didn't even write. Bill Mantlo wrote these issues with the swarm, this greatest villain of the swarm, made of killer bees. His entire body is composite of bees. So when he separates, the bees fly away and, and there's no, no form there. And then they come back and they form. And these issues were drawn by no 
less than John Byrne, who again comes on the book for a nice end stretch of about six issues and just blows your mind because you get a glimpse of all that is to come with the X-Men, all that is to come because he's drawing Angel, he's drawing Iceman. He draws a great Hercules. He draws a great Black Widow, a great Ghost Rider, uh, Hawkeye, uh, Two-Gun Kid, or some of the guest stars, Black Goliath. There's a lot of guest stars towards that end era of the run. Bob Layton, who would go on to become like one of the most celebrated inkers, embellishers, finishers, artists of his generation, was inking these John Byrne issues. These books are great. When these books, when these pages have come up on Heritage Auction lately, they go for big prices. They go for more than expected prices. I mean, a single page issue of the Champions went for twelve, fifteen recently. A double pager, like more than that. I mean, again, Champions, a book that is canceled, a book that has no real cultural imprint. You're, you, you may be going, I have never heard of this book. Here's the deal. The entire reason of this podcast is for you to hear of this book. If you read these comics, you will be entertained. Get to those. I, I maintain, I know Tony is being very kind here. The End of this episode, I'm going to read to you what Ralph Macchio, a longtime writer and editor for Marvel, Com- for Marvel Comics, writes about his viewpoint of, of the champions. And again, he has a, a different view, obviously, of, like I said, as, as I do. He, he has a view like I do, a different view of Tony, who's being very magnanimous and very complimentary. But that those first issues, the book should have had a, had a, a, a bigger punch, a bigger uh, just artistic imprint. But the later issues... The book, the series gets stronger as it goes. And from, I always liked the God of War. Uh, and and uh, whether it was Ares or Pluto, uh, the, 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 the Greek villains that would battle Hercules in the opening story arc. Then there's, uh, then there's this character named Rampage, who's kind of a Iron Man level inventor. Creates a technological suit, more of a more of an exoskeleton than a than a suit of armor. But he terrorizes them. They have a a, a multi issue storyline about all of the different Russian uh, characters coming to grab Black Widow. They introduce a character called Dark Star, who even Tony Isabella in his comments says is kind of like the Russian female Green Lantern. She has like this black energy uh, that she taps into, and it really services surf- services uh, her. In the same way that Green Lantern's power services him, uh, but Dark Star, Titanium Man, uh, all of the all of the Russian kind of robots and secret agents, uh, they, they 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 emerge in this multi-issue storyline. It's very exciting, very well done, drawn by Bob Bob Hall, who is another up and comer, and inked by Bob Layton. The Champions really becomes. And they talk about it, a showcase for young talent. I skip by that paragraph, but Tony Isabella says, you know, by the last, the back kind of six or seven issues, Marvel was really less worried about getting established names on it and more about, hey, we can break new talent on this book. And trust me, these, these, you know, John Byrne did at least 120 pages of, of the champions and, and it really set the stage for everything that he would enter the X-Men with in terms of development doing a group of characters cast of characters around the same time 1977 as his champions ends he goes and he does a kick-ass three-parter for the avengers too so he is just honing his craft before he launches onto the avengers I, i'm sorry i'm launches onto the x-men with issue 108 and just boom everything explodes but he is becoming the john Byrne that you love in these champions issues 
uh, with Hercules, Black Widow, Ghost Rider. Again, just phenomenal. Double page spreads, great action. This swarm character, it's a two-parter. He's eerie. He's creepy looking. A guy made all of, uh, of, of, of killer bees. I mean, it is, it is way cooler than I could possibly describe to you. When you get those interior pages, look, you can go on Comixology right now and download this entire series and digest it. And it's super fun and it's great escapism. But again, towards the end, you know, someone at Marvel was trying to lean in and going, why aren't these characters working? Now, the George Perez of it all that I mentioned, George does this great cover. I think it's X-Men 160. I'm, I'm sorry, Avengers. Avengers 163. It was right after this killer stretch of the Avengers with the Grim Reaper and a two-part Ultron story, which is one of my favorite Ultron stories, if not my favorite Avenger story of, of all time. I'm always over all over social media saying that these two are the best Avengers comics, and they are. 163 has a cover with Iron Man battling the champions, and he's punching Hercules. And, and, and I'm going to tell you right now, after Gil Kane, nobody drew Hercules as good as George Perez. And you look, oh man, this is killer. Uh, you know, uh, Iron Man and, 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 and Hercules and George Perez is drawing it, but he only drew the cover. Okay. But the interiors still a fun story. Champions front and center in, in an Avengers issue champions front and center in an Iron Man annual champions front and center in this giant supervillain team up crossover with Dr. Doom and Magneto and the champions in Godzilla, but the champions would not take flight there was absolute resistance to the champions um you know catching the sales necessary to keep them in print so again it winds down with issue 17 which finds john byrne doing this incredible inking work on this classic uh, like i said uh, john buscema style penciler george tusca had done tons of issues of iron man um just a huge talent he was doing Iron Man right when I got into comics and then he does all these champions issues and George Tuska uh, just did Avengers issues uh, a, a great what you would call Marvel editorial called him like a great journeyman artist he deserves so much more I, I, I've always thought he, had he found the right inking combo he would have popped more because again the finishing the, the 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 layer on top was was uh what really popped so many of these artists again we've talked about the the contribution of finishers and inkers like terry austin like joe rubenstein like bob mcleod like dan green during this period uh and 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 in gene day i mean there were tons of great finishers marvel seemed to have so many of them so when 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 one of these artists didn't get one of those outstanding inkers on top of them you were like why how did how, with with the you know, overabundance of inking talent. You know, some of these guys just never got the right polish. But the last issue of the Champions is drawn by George Tuska, inked entirely, the whole job by John Byrne. And he retains George Tuska's figures, his faces, but there is, you can definitely see John Byrne in each and every issue, but it's them versus the Sentinels um, and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And so it's got this X-Men tinge to it. And there's this great double pager where the Sentinels are all crashing through the walls, grabbing for the champions. And then as a kid, you get to the end and it's like, this will be the last issue of the champions. <laughs> and you're like, wait, what? My, the party was over. You know, yeah, I can hear journeys, you know, the party's over blasting in the background. Like, this is it. We've shut it down. And it did say, we're going to wrap this up. In a future issue of the uh, Avengers, again, those Peter Parker Spider-Man issues would come out, and and they would they would kind of uh, tie a bow 
on, on the champion's experience, Hercules and Black Widow immediately found their, ways, their, their way into the Avengers. And they were featured heavily on the covers. Again, you know, Hercules qualifies as a big-time big strongman. And so those issues that he's in with Black Widow and Hercules, uh, the issues that Black Widow and Hercules are in, I think they wanted to tell you, like, look, you know, we've got them in this book. You Champions fans can get your Champions, you know, fix off these Avengers issues. And I did. And it was great seeing Hercules and Black Widow in those comics. But the, the again, the Champions existed out of a need to get more comics together and this kind of hodgepodge if you listen to what tony is saying here this 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 you know hey let's jam together and he wanted to do a buddy a a a, a road uh you know a, a buddy cop uh road book where they're traveling around the country and and i'm glad he didn't do that i i, I that i would not have been excited about that book i was excited about this book so the jamming in the back and forth with len and getting hercules and black widow and ghost Rider on the book was great my personal opinion, like I said, being there at the time, as much as I love these characters, when I would see the Defenders, which had better polished commercial appealing art in the Avengers and the X-Men, just artistically, look, we buy comics for visuals, period, end of story. And at the end of each and every Champions, I'd go back to the covers and I'd be like, I just love the way they look on the covers. I just love the way they look on the covers. I wish there was more... This is up until the John Byrne issues, but the early on and early on is where you set your expectations and you get your habits. And again, the, the, the delay in getting issues one and two out, which was part of what was going on at Marvel at the time, there were, this was not uncommon in 75 and 76 to buy, to grab a new issue of the Avengers and it was a reprint. They'd have a brand new cover on it, but it would be like, hey, everybody, the Avengers are taking care of business and we'll be back next issue. But uh, here's a blast from the past for you to enjoy. And Jim Shooter went on record as saying this was a time where creative teams were not turning their stuff in uh, on time. People were missing their deadlines wildly. Deadlines were not being kept. So they would send inventory stories or old material reprints to make sure that the that the. uh you know, trains were running on time. Imagine a new book like Champions, which has no inventory stories, has nothing in the pipeline. So if they're not handed in issue two, then you, you got to wait till it gets in. And so something like that absolutely plagues uh, the launch of a book. Now you're going to be like, Liefeld, you're crazy. And I may be, and I'm, I'm open to this. I'm open to this. Like, like Hercules, Black Widow, Ghost Rider, Angel Iceman is nobody's idea of a good time. Uh, <clears throat> I have to 100% Factor in that that is most likely a, a huge factor that people just didn't take. If you didn't love Hercules, he was literally, you know, kind of to many people, the second position Thor. He certainly didn't have the longstanding history that Thor had with his, you know, almost at this point, closing in on 250 plus issues. Uh, so, so, it, so yes, Hercules may have been a dime store uh, version of Thor to many people. For me, I just loved him. I love Black Widow. Again, my, my love for these characters. I thought Ghost Rider was fantastic. And, and yet the champions just did not launch. But these books are coveted and they're harder to get than you think. And, uh, you know, many of my copies are beat up and they're torn and they're ripped because they're, they're time tested. I mean, I'm, I'm carrying around comic books. I've uh, been shuffling between, between long boxes and short boxes since 1975. I mean, this is... Uh, <laughs> 
you know, so, so, so sometimes when I go to try and find replica copies, it's difficult and it's very difficult getting them in, in really nice condition. This, cause, cause this was mostly a product of the newsstand. So, you know, just tremendous memories of, 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 of these characters, of these stories, great, really Towards the end, the back half has just fantastic art. And then the, the, the Iron Man annual and, and the different storylines that they were woven into, which was meant to expand their appeal, are all absolutely worth getting. And you can get them in any of these collections because they've wisely compiled kind of the entire Champions era, the two years that they were kind of trying to become a thing. But it did become a training ground because Bob Layton goes on to then do Iron Man shortly after this and become a megastar. And John Byrne leaves the champions and goes on to do X-Men, Marvel team up, all these other assignments that he would do and blow up. But, and, and John talked about how like, you know, champions was his, his first shot and, 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 and collaborating with Bill Mantlo, who was also, you know, coming up strong. Tony Isabella says he, he gave Bill Mantlo his job. Bill Mantlo would go on to draw, you know, I mean, go on to write the Micronauts, ROM, a like six year, 10 year celebrated run on the Hulk. That's probably the most famous run that Bill did, but, but he is known to the rest of us. Also, Rocket Raccoon comes from Bill Mantlo. Uh, but that ROM, which is, which is getting collected, and, we, and we've uh, covered ROM in uh, the dedicated uh, podcast called Forbidden Fruits, because up until now, I mean, we're looking at 40 years, these, these, these books were not collected. And, and the Micronauts is, 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 uh, is right on its tail and, and going to be out in 2024. There's going to be a facsimile, I think, in the fall. But the ROM and the Micronaut stuff that Bill Mantlo did is finally going to get collected in these handsome omnibuses, and we're going to just buy them up. I'm sure Marvel, I, I know for a fact Marvel is thrilled, and they were not surprised because they knew the fan fever for, for this stuff. But Bill Mantlo cut his teeth doing the champions, okay? Uh, John Byrne, Bob Layton. Huge names came from this, so it's got a great legacy, great talent legacy. Uh, the characters, I'm going to tell you right now, if I could do a champion story, I would do it tomorrow. I would do it 100% tomorrow. I would love to draw these characters in a flashback, uh, a story that took place in 1977, uh, battle, battling you know, some of the villains, Rampage, some of these other characters. My passion for these characters has never abated, but again, the... The origin was very much, we need comics. We have to fill out a roster and, you know, we're coming up short with just the Inhumans and, you know, eventually Black Goliath, who was a cool character, but I think he only lasted like four or five issues. They then put Black Goliath in the champions. He, he ends up also expanding their roster and being a regular character. And you're like, Liefeld, you're so excited about this. I am. These are good comics. Going through the newsprint editions of these was such a blast. I've, I've uh, cycled in just the last 20 years. Earlier in the 2000s, I wanted everything in a trade collection. I wanted it in an omnibus. And those pages, those printing, they come there. It's so, they're, they're so white and crisp. And, and uh, the colors are so bright. And I loved having all that stuff and putting it on the shelves. But when it comes to, to going through those books and experiencing them, I don't have the same love for them as I do for that grainy newsprint. So like I said, I, I was bagging and boarding my original champions just last night before I did this. And man, my, my love was swoon, swooning again. And there were entire pages. I'm going to tell you, there's like the, la- the, the, the splash page and the, the last page of Champions 1 and the splash page to Champions 2 both by Don Heck. I'm like, 
I want to draw over that composition. The composition is strong. The art is a little sketchy. It's a little unrefined. It's not, we were, we had been addicted to this new, like I said, era of, of really tight polishing by Bob Layton and Terry Austin and Joe Rubenstein and, and all the others that I've mentioned. And the, the guys who were doing the champions were more of your late silver age, early bronze age talents. They were older. They, they kind of used older tools. It wasn't this new refined look that, 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 the kids of my era were going for it. The, the, it just, uh, it wasn't the sugar rush. And I look at this stuff and go, I, I, I can, that composition is strong. It's the finishes. It's the, maybe the tiny details that I could apply to it. Again, like I said, Todd, Todd McFarlane and I have, have talked over the years who we would have liked to have inked. I would have loved to have inked John Buscema. I would love to have inked Don Heck. Todd was always like, I would love to ink Gene Colon. So again, we have very uh, different ideas of who we would like to polish and put our brand of like more, uh, you know, slick line work, tiny details. But the champions is worth you checking out. It is a book that people from the seventies, that the bronze era, I mean, it was right smack dab in the middle of the seventies. Okay. 1975 is when this book launched. 1977 is when they put it down, um, like a dog that could no longer hunt. And then they, uh, you know, disbanded them never to be truly, there's been some callback episodes there in the two thousands. They've done some like what I've even talked about drawing, like they've done like forgotten, you know, stories of this team, but the champions, that marvel put out in the last 20 years are the young kids the nova i think ms marvel you know it's the champions resembles more of what was going on with the new warriors in the 90s so the champions moniker is one that marvel still promotes but just not this team not this way but a group of characters very very eclectic uh a a a corporate agenda to make something work and some really great talent legacy is what you're going to find when you uh go through the champions if by chance you go through the champions and uh i i fully welcome your um your comments <laughs> that, that that indicate that i am off my rocker dedicating an entire episode to uh to to my childhood my childhood love and and here's the deal i understand i get it i understand uh it, you know we all have something we want to show until we want to stand up and do that show and tell like we used to do in class and say, this is my favorite. And uh, so so thank you for listening to an episode of This Is My Favorite, the Rob Liefeld Show and Tell edition of The Champions. Be- before we tie a big, big giant bow on this entire Champions thing and ship it, I, I got to share with you some final uh, thoughts from Tony Isabella that I wanted to 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 get up, get up and and, and record and then obviously from ralph macchio and his his uh new forward to this recent collection but speaking to the new talent and how it became a uh really a platform for new talent tony isabella on the second page of his forward writes uh new writer bill mantlo hit the ground running uh bill had an affinity for russian characters and that served the next three issues well, Bob Hall came on as penciler of those issues with inking by Bruce Patterson, Bob Layton, and Frank Giacoa. Young artists would dominate the rest of the champions' 17-issue run with occasional appearances by veterans and an issue inked by John Byrne over George Tuska. So again, it, it really did become this great, you know, Petri dish, experimental for, for, for these incredible talents. And again, you know, 
kids like me, my generation, we ate it up. We ate it up. So uh, I told you this was a very special episode and, and, and you're getting all the specialities. This is from Ralph Macchio. Ralph edited some of my favorite books growing up and he was the co-writer along with Mark Grunewald of the best run Marvel 2-in-1 has ever seen. Uh, the Serpent Crown Affair, Project Pegasus, uh, a, a new Adam Warlock saga. They were. It helped that they were teamed with John Byrne and George Perez on almost each one of those uh, those those stories. There's a great individual uh, Impossible Man thing issue of Marvel Two and One that they wrote they, uh, together. They were this incredible writing tandem. Ralph would go on to edit a whole bunch of books at Marvel Comics, and he wrote this forward. For the champions, he says, uh, I hadn't officially started back at Marvel in 75, but I was up in the office enough to have heard word of a new supergroup to be introduced. One of those members, one whose members were so dissimilar as to put the defenders to shame. I think it wasn't until the last page of issue four that they even named themselves the champions. Consider this lineup, Hercules, Black Widow, Angel, Iceman, Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider. What could possibly draw together such a disparate assemblage? Nothing much except a war among the Olympian gods. More about that later. Instead, let's focus on the individuals and what connects them. Hercules and Black Widow were Avengers. Similar and familiar with one another. Likewise, Iceman and Angel were X-Men, brothers in arms. The real wild card among them was the supernatural Ghost Rider. When I heard of this potential lineup for this new series, I was stunned. I wondered... Where would they be headquartered? Who is their leader? Well, as everyone else, I had to wait for the book to come out, although I did see original art pages being corrected in the fabled Marvel bullpen. I couldn't wait for this thing to start. Ralph goes on to write, Tony Isabella conceived of the champions and scripted most of the first eight issues before turning it over to the capable hands of Bill Mantlo. Tony, who's created, whose creation for our distinguished competition, DC Comics Black Lightning, is currently a huge hit on television, is someone who was truly devoted to Marvel back in the 1970s. If I recall correctly, he was one of a handful of freelancers and staffers who almost literally lived at the House of Ideas when our offices were located at 575 Madison Avenue. Hard to believe, but several devoted Marvel employees would bring sleeping bags up to the office and spend days or weeks there proofreading and scripting comic books. Talk about a total lifestyle. Tony began the champions with a bang. Involving the protagonists in a conflict with the awesome Olympian gods, Hercules being the son of Zeus, Zeus was a natural fit for such an epic. The other characters, not so much so, but the talented Mr. T, Mr. Tony, found a natural way for them all to be in the same place so they could partake in this adventure and interact. Also, a nice innovation was setting the series out in sunny Los Angeles, Southern California. This was a big deal because almost every other Marvel series was set in Manhattan or a nearby locale. In rereading the initial stories for this introduction, I was very impressed with how effortlessly Tony was able to put the players in place. He also picked up on a significant plot point from the classic Lee Kirby run on the Mighty Thor and used it as a basis for the first story. I like that. We had something brand new with a strong tie to something established. As you'll note, the beautifully drawn first cover by Gil Kane placed the Prince of Power, Hercules, front and center in an aggressive pose that let you know he was the central figure of the book. Speaking of artwork, the Champions had several pencilers during its 17-issue duration. Initially, Marvel veteran Don Heck drew the first few issues. Don is best known for the sleek, sophisticated look that he gave to Iron Man in the 1960s, and adept as adept at the super as as adept at superhero hijinks of the Golden Avengers as he was at drawing the billionaire world of Tony Stark. Don did a fine job penciling this title as well. 
although I thought he wasn't as comfortable with the godly clashes and the sense of grandeur that the first storyline demanded. It wasn't quite his forte, in my opinion. This is Ralph Macchio writing this. George Tusca, who followed Don on Champions and also painted uh, and also penciled a mean Iron Man, got a bit closer to the mark during his stay. I think easily his best work in this stellar collection is the reprinted Iron Man Annual, Iron Man Annual 4, in which our intrepid quintet takes on the man with the biggest head in comics, the menacing Modoc. Bold, powerful panels grace the pages of this story. It's quite a treat, and you'll be glad we included it. It's fascinating how the champions seem to pop up in other Marvel titles in either the middle of a storyline or helping to conclude one, as they did in Supervillain Team Up 4. I'm sorry, Supervillain Team Up 14. This story was a doozy as we see our greatest supervillain, Victor Von Doom, having at long last achieved his goal of world conquest. Unfortunately for old Dr. Doom, his method of conquest is so subtle the world doesn't even know it's been taken over. And that's just the beginning. The last issue of Supervillain Team-Up bled into Champion 16, which takes some unexpected twists and has an ending that will leave you breathless. What's intriguing about these crossovers is how seamless they are. You will see you will see that as you glide effortlessly from one title to the other. The man responsible for that is the multi-talented scripter, Bill Mantlo. Bill was a highly imaginative gentleman who always was, uh, who, who Ralph believes was always most underrated. We worked together on ROM Space Night, and I had a blast. I'll never forget his begging me to get approval to actually show the dire wraiths visually. Something in the contract had prevented us from doing it, but we were able to get it changed. I had Walt Simonson design, design the dire wraiths, and Bill was ecstatic, totally energized. I considered him a friend and a colleague. He began as a staff colorist who made the move over to writing, and he never looked back. He had exceptional tenures on titles such as Spectacular Spider-Man, Micronauts, Rom, and Iron Man. He and Keith Giffen are responsible for the creation of a furry little fellow who's become a major motion picture star named Rocket Raccoon. In his spare time, the redoubtable Mr. Mantlo also pursued his law degree. I recall him coming up frequently to the Marvel offices with his young son perched upon his shoulders, dropping off scripts, or just kibitzing. He was always bouncing new ideas off people. The accident that left him disabled is a tragic one beyond words. Fortunately, he created a superb body of work, prime examples of which are proudly presented in these pages every team should have a mission statement the avengers and the x-men had theirs but was there one for the champions we look no further than the last page of champions four where guest scripter no less x-men writer supreme chris claremont has the angel say to help those who can't help themselves a noble sentiment and a strong thread to hold this group together it seems strange to me that the guest writer would pen the phrase before departing but that's the comic book business that issue is also significant because Her- hercules really cuts loose against his fellow champions and we see however briefly why he is called the prince of power you get you lucky people get to enjoy that slug fist here inside these pages champions may not have had a long shelf life but the highly unlikely pairing of its members made it well worth publishing, especially from an experimental point of view. Tony Isabella, later Bill Mantlo, found ways to make this bizarre combination of characters work in the group context. I felt Bill was just hitting his stride on issue 11, which featured the art and artistry of John Byrne, who would go on to fame with the X-Men, who stuck around for quite a spell and really did this series proud. It took a while, but the characters were just starting to gel. You could see relationships developing, personality conflicts coming to the fore, and offbeat threats presenting themselves. The addition of Darkstar and her strange powers was another step in the right direction. And then it all came to an end. This collection will both delight and tantalize you with what might have been had the series been able to sustain itself for a longer time. That what-if game is one that, on so many levels, is irresistible. I know that once you finish this colossal collection, you'll be playing it. You'll be playing the what if game as well. Fortunately, 
This is very good news because the champions live on in a new iteration currently being published by Mighty Marvel. For those who were present at the creation and saddened by this title's loss, the new series is a satisfying coda. You're missing something if you aren't picking it up. Even with the hard sell, let's head out to the ivy-covered environments of California's UCLA campus with a couple of X-Men making their way among the halls of academia when suddenly, but that would be telling. You just jump right in and keep that diploma rolled up in handy because you never know what other dimensional deity you'll have to hit over the head with it. Enjoy Ralph Macchio, editor, Marvel Comics. Uh, honestly, the what if game, that's why this episode exists. What if the champions had clicked? Those covers, those later burn issues. You know, what if it had a stronger launch? What if it had a more dedicated uh, creative team again instead of tony isabella and bill mantlow and chris and then back to tony and then back to bill and then literally don heck george tesca don heck bob hall john byrne just uh probably not the strongest way to start a series but one that has an imprint and uh left a huge mark on guys like myself so there it is there's your special episode of the champions it's time to put a bow on it it's time to ship it and uh and just thank you for coming along for this this ride that was both nostalgic and hopefully just uh, filled with genuine enthusiasm. And if you get the chance, check the champions out. I, I know each and every one of you has a champions. I know you have a show, uh, a, a comic, a series, a book that you loved that it just uh, it just did not stand the test of time. We all have them. That's why I wanted to share mine today. Champions, final, fi- final. Uh, that's my final answer. Okay, it's it's the champions. It's always going to be the champions. Hey, at the end of each and every show, I read the reviews that you have left for me. You're so generous. Thank you. Uh, this entire show is is completely supported by you, the listener. And and again. I just, I love bringing this show to you. I am, I am always so thrilled that it becomes part of so many different conversations that I'm having across social media or when I uh, get out of my cave and actually, you know, go, go to a signing or convention as I, as I'm about to Uh, just, you know, in, in, in the last 24 hours, truth be told, you have been listening to this uh, podcast being broadcast from my hotel room as I got down here early at to 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 get ready for San Diego and and a couple of guys in the hotel told me how much they love the podcast and I'm just always floored by it and I'm so thankful to you for it and I read the reviews that you guys leave for me at the end of each and every show or some somewhere embedded in the show and today I got a great review that I'm going to share that I'm so humbled by from Luishi L U I S C H E Luishi one and he leaves this from Apple Canada. And it says great podcast, five stars. This is from Luishi. I was searching for a good podcast to listen on the way home from work one day and I came across Rob Liefeld's podcast and I can't stop listening ever since. Rob, you are doing an amazing job and some of your content takes me all the way back to my childhood. Keep up the great work and know that we appreciate your hard work and determination. He gives us five stars. I cannot thank you enough, Luishi. I I I honestly it's that last part you guys letting me know uh, that you care that I arm wrestle with this with this microphone each and every time. And and the very special episodes, like the champions, I hope those uh, land in a positive way as well. Thank you, Luis, 
or Luisha, number one, for, for leaving that incredible review for me. You guys, it helps us so much stand out on the platform when you write them, when you send them in, I read them. And I just am so thankful that you pulled up a keyboard and you typed that out and you hit send to begin with. So thank you for your ongoing uh, support of our show. And uh, I am truly humbled. I am truly touched. On social media, I want you to find me on Twitter. I'm still on Twitter. I dig Twitter. It's it's where I, I have so many great interactions. I am at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, at Robert Liefeld. That pesky blue check came back. It really only exists to say that I am legit and you're not talking to a fake account. Follow me on Twitter at Robert Liefeld. I read your mentions, your replies, the the, the back and forth. I enjoy it so much. And uh I try and I try and you know share news and uh you know interesting tidbits articles and and I love that you guys share them back with me over there so look look for me over on Twitter on Instagram where I show you the pictures of what I'm drawing what I'm eating the the people that I'm with my loved ones my family my friends hey that's just Rob Liefeld the just R O B L I E F E L D another blue check tells you it's really me on Instagram not one of the imposter accounts thank you for following me on Instagram, and I am sorry if uh, I post too much or if my stuff is cringy, as some family members have led me to believe. But thank you, Instagram at Robert Liefeld. I'm sorry, sorry, Instagram at Rob Liefeld. Twitter at Robert Liefeld. We have a fo- Facebook group. It's a group. It's called Rob Liefeld Marvel Extreme and Beyond. I would love for you to be part of it. Go to Facebook, find uh, Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. You'll submit. We'll click you through. It'll either be myself or a guy named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A. He's a cool dude. Uh, we've been administrating that page for that, that group, I'm sorry, for a while. And we are just getting uh, new people all the time. The conversations that we start here generally always kind of transfer over there. They continue. They go longer. Uh, people share comics. We have art contests. A lot, lot of artists in that group, a lot, a lot of people doing some cool stuff. Occasionally, I will uh, pull up some old pencils of mine, and I mean like from 1987, 86, 88, and, and share some old art. Anyway, really good time uh, over on Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. That's our group at Facebook. Check for it. We will look for you and look to click you through. I've been spending a lot of my last year on an app called Whatnot. Download Whatnot. Uh, follow Rob Liefeld and you will get notifications when I go live with my shows live stream. It's me looking right into the camera, sharing the latest uh, variant comic, the latest exclusive that we've made, uh, whatnot. We've made a ton of exclusives, a ton of variant comics on Spider-Man, on uh, Deadpool, New Mutants. Deadpool Batterblood currently has like six different exclusive whatnot variants. Can't wait to share them with you. Can't wait to uh, see you. We have a new Evangeline. Uh, if, you, if you're a fan of Evangeline, got a San Diego Comic-Con special. Uh, I, I call it, it, it's not printed on there, but it's like a raw edition. It's, it's, it's the, the pencils from Evangeline number one, uh, back almost some, some uh, 30 plus years ago. And uh, re- really nice character sketches, other stuff. Uh, you, you, you'll, you'll dig it. We'll have that uh, at the, uh, on, on whatnot. I really, the only place to buy stuff on, from me online is at whatnot. I've really shut down a lot of my own website stuff. The whatnot store, whatnot store uh, that I do my live streams from generally twice a week is the best place for you to get signed uh, exclusive variants that you're not going to find at any store or available on the web anywhere else. And you're not going to get them signed with the special blood splatter uh, drop shadow splatter. We, we've developed all sorts of crazy new signatures. A lot of them came about correcting mistakes. The blood splatter 
Liefeld logo uh, chisel. <laughs> yeah, it's a mouthful. That came about as, as, as a result of me kind of uh, spilling, and then I became created this blood splatter and then that's the thing that everybody wants and then the drop shadow the same thing so we're having a good time follow me on whatnot rob liefeld check out one of my live streams during the comic con i'll be all over whatnot so if you are uh going to be paying attention to comic con news uh tune in i'll be on whatnot on and off all weekend long can't wait to see you guys over there this is your last few days to send stuff into my private CGC signing. So many of you uh, have 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 expressed and are, and are sharing with me all these books that you're you're sending in. I'm so excited! I can't wait to get them. We're going to have the best time. I am going to go to Florida. I am going to sign in person at CGC's headquarters, uh, doing your remarks and your special menu items. Those all sold out the first day, but the regular signatures and that Liefeld label, that Liefeld label only available through whatnot is you, you got to go all in and get that i'm so excited i'll be there uh sometime uh in the next month and i'll be signing all your books and it'll be a great time and i cannot wait to see what you sent to me go to the cgc website pull down the rob liefeld menu you have by my count five days to get your stuff in five more days as of uh listening to this podcast you can get your stuff in to participate in my private in-house signing for cgc i cannot wait to see what you send me I'm stunned. I, I, all of the pimping that I do at the end of the show, and, and I, think, I think I just completed it. I am going to be signing at Comic-Con. I, w- I will be at, at the Hot Flips. Uh, I will be at the Hot Flips booth. Uh, same place I was last year. It's really the, the, the ass end. It's cool. It's the ass end of Artist Alley. I am like the last booth up against the wall, and I am at the Hot Flips booth. Uh, their, their number is five five six nine artist alley five five six nine i'll be signing two thirty to four o'clock every single day i've got a free signing at marvel check with the marvel booth uh, up on their stage i'll be doing a signing there as well and then my whatnot stuff so i'd love to see you here uh wandering around during the show very exciting time for me i already told you guys how much i absolutely love this show it is the blockbuster show of the summer san diego just cannot be topped as i'm as i'm talking to you i'm looking out at the imdb boat uh, looking out at the bay looking at all the beautiful boats the 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 weather the jet skis are tearing up across uh, across the water here all the different activations are going up this is great thank you once again for listening you know that i'm pulling for you i want your emotional spiritual physical and mental health to be exactly uh, where you need them to be do that by unplugging having some great time some great laughs with your friend eat great food read a comic a graphic novel watch something cool great movie classic movie go to the movies go get that air conditioning go see some of these great movies that are coming out because we are really in the throes of some great cinema right now some fantastic movies so you guys uh, take care of yourselves uh just relax get on that recliner that beanbag take that deep breath get that afternoon nap you're talking to a guy who is an afternoon nap king, okay? And, uh, and, and somewhere in that afternoon nap, yes, I go and I get that Reese's Big Cup with pepperonis in it because what, what, what's next, right? What's next in those big cups? Uh, you, you got all, all manner of pretzels, candy, cereal, and potato chips. I'm, I'm predicting the pepperonis and the, and the sausage, okay? The big cups, just take care of yourself. Relax, unplug. I am uh, pulling for you. 
I am uh, cheering you on. And thank you so much for listening to this show. Do not miss out. Our next episode is the Comic-Con wrap. All of the different... um, all the different stuff. I'm going to bring it to you. I'm going to give you a very lively, very fun Comic-Con rap episode when we uh, talk again. And I hope very much that you'll be there because we, my intention is to absolutely, inevitably talk again real soon.